Hi there, this is Jen Lawrence, and you're listening to The Workplace Edit, a podcast for people development professionals, HR executives, and business owners who want to make work a better place to be. On this podcast, we talk about ways to address the talent gap, tackle reluctance to return to the office, deal with employee retention, burnout, discrimination, and other workplace issues, all with a trauma-informed lens. Welcome. Hey there, it's Jen. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the Work-Life Edit. Today, I wanted to talk about employee trauma. Um, Employee trauma is one of the areas that I'm studying and researching and doing a lot of work in. And um, sometimes I think uh, HR folk wonder what it has to do with them. Um, Because, you know, they're not trauma specialists. They're not in the realm of healing trauma. You know, that belongs in the therapy world. So I think sometimes there is an inclination to step away from it because rightfully so. You don't want to, you know, wade into an area that you don't have training in. But by the same token, um, if you employ people, you employ people with trauma. So it is something that will be coming up if you have any form of people-centered jobs. So that might be you're in HR. It might be that you have a lot of people working for you. Perhaps you're a business owner. And so in this episode, I wanted to go over really um, what kinds of things you might wish to know about trauma so that you can better help your employees. So first, just some numbers. Um, 70% of people have experienced trauma. That's a World Health Organization number. Um, And of the people who have experienced, you know, reported trauma, for most of them, it's happened three or more times. So this is something that a lot of people have faced. Um, I know when we think about trauma, we tend to think of, you know, sort of PTSD causing events like war or, you know, displacement, um, violence, crime, you know, these tend to be what we see as big T traumas. There's also lots of other traumas, though, you know. Um, uh, bullying, microaggressions, racism. Um, And some of these can be considered big T traumas. Others are considered um, not as big one-time event traumas, but the buildup of, you know, sexism, ableism, homophobia, racism can be very, very traumatizing and can also layer on top of other traumas that people have. So, you know, for employers that say, you know, I don't have traumatized workers because perhaps I own, you know, a company that does marketing. Um, And so it's not as obvious as if you had workers who say worked on the front lines of COVID in a healthcare setting, you know, there you would expect trauma, you might not expect it if you have employees who are primarily working at a desk. But there are some statistics that show that, in fact, you know, these folks are often very much exposed to trauma. So in terms of some of the numbers, 15% of workers exhibit clinical symptoms of PTSD or ASD. That's at any given time. So, you know, if you have a workplace with 100 people, chances are that 15 of them will have trauma to the extent that they are showing clinical symptoms of it. Um, In terms of smaller T traumas, 79% of workers Uh, reported experiencing workplace stress. And that's an American Psychological Association's 2021 work and well-being survey. So, you know, a lot of people aren't doing well. And I think post-COVID, you know, we have collectively been through this 
majorly traumatic worldwide event. And so, you know, trauma-informed HR, trauma-informed management is something that is going to become more and more relevant. 38% of employees um, report harassment while working remotely. I think the big surprise is people thought that when we moved from uh, work, where 39% of employed women and 31% of employed men, you know, have experienced harassment, um, the numbers track pretty similarly for an online environment. A lot of the, you know, microaggressions, racism, bullying um, do continue over in the online world. And sometimes they're more hidden. You know, someone can say something in a DM that they might not feel comfortable openly expressing in a meeting. So, you know, there can be uh, bullying even in an online world. And women and BIPOC folk are more likely to be harassed than, say, the white men working in your organization. Um they also tend to not trust HR as advocating for them. So harassment cases, workplace bullying cases um, tend to go underreported. So, you know, just because people aren't telling you there is a problem doesn't mean that there is not a problem. Most people actually say it's easier to quit than to go through the HR channels and you know, report and have an investigation and they fear that there will be some form of retaliation. So for most people, it's just easier to quit. So some of the numbers that we're seeing in terms of turnover actually speak to trauma. So if you're working at getting those numbers down, you know, auditing your systems to make sure that they are not harm causing can really help with workplace turnover. Um, in terms of some other numbers, $35 billion a year is the productivity loss at work due to PTSD. That's in the U.S. Um, $458 billion is the U.S. annual taxpayer cost of untreated childhood trauma. And what's hidden in some of those is, you know, if people are, are missing work altogether um, or opting out of working, you know, these numbers tend to be hidden. So it very much is an issue. And even if it's not being expressed as trauma per se or PTSD, a lot of the burnout numbers seem to speak to this, you know, overwork, lack of clarity around work, um, uh, you know, inter-office conflict. And 63% of employees are saying that they experience burnout in any given year. And for Gen Z employees, it's actually 84%. So the younger the people are, typically the less control they have over their workplace environment and the more harm causing it tends to be. So, you know, if you work in a large company in Canada or the US, which is where, uh, you know, my listener base would tend to be, um, you know, folks that are traumatized on the job, chances are they aren't being reported. Um, half, half of the cases are completely unreported. Like people don't even tell a family member. And even fewer of those make it to HR. Because again, the number one reason people cite for not going to HR is they simply don't think it'll make a difference. And the second reason they don't go to HR is they fear retaliation. You know, HR will then reach out to the offender and then the person's going to end up paying for, um, you know, expressing what happened. So HR is really seen as working on behalf of the company, not for the people in the company. You know, it is still really seen as human resources and um, 
as a department that is concerned about getting as much work out of people as possible, rather than being a source of, um, you know, answers and comfort and solutions for employees. So that's one of those kind of big areas that I'm working on, helping, uh, you know, people development folk take a slightly different role, less focused on compliance and the legality of things and more focused on really helping folks do their best work, which ultimately helps the company. The impact of trauma, um, you know, goes beyond some of the kind of obvious things like, you know, lost hours, people leaving. It really speaks to how the brain works. So when you are traumatized and you are not emotionally regulated, you are working from, you know, what is known as kind of the ancient brain. It's the limbic system. It's the the spinal cord. You tend not to be in that neocortex, prefrontal cortex that does, you know, creative work, innovative work, um, is really good at critical thinking and problem solving. You tend to be more in that fight flight, freeze, or what we call fawn mode. That's where people are people pleasers just to kind of get along. It's a survival instinct. And you see that a lot when organizations make really terrible decisions, you know, where there's some group think that backs up some really awful decisions. And you think, well, why on earth did people do that? Often if there is a, you know, a sort of controlling or bullying culture in an organization, People are scared to speak up. And so it's just easier to let terrible ideas, um, you know, a, an acquisition that's clearly not going to work, um, launching a product where there are problems. They'd just rather say, yeah, everything is great than challenge and possibly, you know, lose their job or, you know, be retaliated against in some way. So if you want people to be uh, creative, innovative, if you have the kind of organization that needs your customers taken care of in a good way, if you need new you know, products to be developed, having a traumatized workforce is really not going to work to your advantage. Clear thinking requires a regulated nervous system, and that's just about impossible to achieve if your boss is a bully or if there's always the threat of layoffs over you. You know, you're going to be, as humans, we are worried about self-preservation, about staying safe and comfortable. And if you're always afraid something bad is gonna happen, you're really not gonna bring your best self to work. So as a human-centric HR person or business owner, what are some of the things you can do to help employees who are experiencing trauma and make sure that they aren't being further traumatized by the work? Um, I think the first thing is trauma awareness training. You know, it's really important to learn about trauma-informed and harm-reducing practices. So there's a couple resources that I love. One's called A Little Book of Trauma-Informed Workplaces, and another is a book called The Empathetic Workplace. These are really great resources that give you an overview as to, you know, what are some trauma-causing behaviors in a workplace. So, you, you know, you'll be attuned to things like bullying, uh, worker conflict, the threats of layoffs and firing, racism, sexism, ableism, homophobia, and other forms of discrimination. Overwork, lack of clarity around work, lack of autonomy. These are the things that stress people out and lead to burnout. And that can have a traumatic effect, particularly if people have trauma in other areas of their life. Trauma tends to layer and build. 
So, you know, the more trauma people have had, the more sort of the deeper the impact of traumas. So depending on, you know, if, if you run a healthcare organization and you have had a staff who has faced really a lot of very hard things over COVID, um, if something happens like an incident of workplace violence, say there's a, a patient who is violent, um, if people are already traumatized, it's going to impact them on a deeper level. So it's really, really important to identify areas of trauma in your workplace and then put systems in place to keep people safe, physically safe and emotionally safe. In terms of emotional safeness, um, work-life flexibility is really important. And I think all of the stats that are coming out, all the HR surveys that come out at this time of year are really showing that people want a lot of control over their jobs. They want to control where they work, when they work. Um, they want some flexibility to take care of things in their personal lives. And I think one of the things that trauma does is it removes one's sense of control. I mean, there was a period in time where most of the world was locked down by their governments. Um, and so, you know, that really removes people's sense of control over their lives. And a trauma response is to try to get control back. So this is where you see people saying, you know, I want to work from home on Wednesdays because maybe there's a daycare pickup they're um, navigating. You know, they want to be able to work certain core hours, but then maybe they want to do all their email stuff at night. Um, so, you know, when you're able to give employees flexibility, that is a huge give to them. They will receive that in a big way because basically you're saying we are going to give you as much control as possible over your life. And for people who feel traumatized, that's a really important thing because trauma removes control. That's one of the key things that traumatic events tend to do. Another really important thing that you can do as a, you know, HR, if you're, um, you know, run a company, you're an entrepreneur and don't necessarily have an HR department, um, is the act of bearing witness to people who are in pain. When someone goes through trauma, having someone else recognize that experience and listen to them and acknowledge their pain is important. It's an important part of healing. And so, you can say that you're sorry if someone has told you about something traumatic, whether it's been done in or out of work. You can say that you're sorry because you are sorry that they experienced that. That doesn't mean that you're admitting culpability, that you're saying that somehow you played a role in that. It's simply saying, you know, I acknowledge you as a human being and I am so sorry that you went through that. Um, you know, not a lot of studies have been done around workplace litigation and the role of empathy. But in medicine, it has been studied. You know, the Journal of American Medicine did a big study in 1997, and it showed that primary care physicians who spent time with their patients, you know, built rapport, showed empathy. It reduced the risk of them being sued, even in the event of a bad medical outcome. You know, as people were really hardwired to build connection. And so if you're seen as, you know, listening, and being sorry for something, like if you're letting someone go, there is such value in, first of all, having that be a face-to-face -face meeting because that shows respect. And in saying, you know, I'm really sorry. Like, I'm sorry this is happening. Layoffs are, are difficult. It's gonna impact this person and their financial security and their family life. 
And so it doesn't mean that you don't do it if it's being done out of necessity, but you can still feel sorry for the fact that it's causing this person pain. So I think bearing witness to someone's pain, it's not easy. And as a, you know, a, a person listening to hard things, you need to resource yourself so that there's not secondary trauma. You know, you're, you're not a psychologist or a mental health professional. So, you know, you're, you're not, you don't have the, the work of listening to people in trauma on a continual basis, but you can still express empathy that this is a difficult thing and that you see them and you see the pain that they're in. So, um, one of the, I guess, systemic things that's really helpful to make sure that employees are not being traumatized is monitor who gets to be a manager. The reality is there are a lot of really dysfunctional personality types out there and trauma-causing, harm-causing personality types who are actually really great performers. You know, um, narcissists, sociopaths, you know, there have been a lot of studies about them and you know, the C-suite boardrooms uh, as entrepreneurs, they can make brilliant workers. They often perform really well. You know, sometimes they don't have a strong moral compass. They don't have empathy. They will do things that other people won't do. Um, and sometimes that leads to good results. You know, if you're a salesperson and you sort of don't really care if you're rejected, you'll just keep asking and asking and asking for the business, which can be really great. I mean, that's a great asset for a, a salesperson. But by the same token, you know, these folks don't always make the best managers. So it's very important that managers are not necessarily the people that are the best at their jobs. It's the people who are the best at managing other people. So I think successful companies have kind of two tracks for success. Um, one is that they have individual contributor roles that can be extremely well paid. You know, these people can make more than a CEO um, if they're in, say, a sales track, um, bringing business to the table, they can get paid extremely well. Um, there should also be another track for people who are just really good at managing other people. And, you know, they tend to then end up in the C-suite. They have departments and, you know, a lot of people reporting to them. But unfortunately, when you see people that are not particularly empathetic and can be, you know, almost bullies, and you see them managing people, that tends to be what leads to lawsuits. You know, there's harassment, there's uh, bullying. And so it's a lawsuit or scandal or, you know, in certain cases, it's led to the demise of a company. So I think it's really important that HR folk monitor um, basically any bad feedback that is coming out about a manager and pay attention to that. And just because they are an excellent performer doesn't mean that that should be ignored. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to leave the company, but they probably shouldn't be managing groups of people. Um, and when you're hiring, if you see senior people who've gone from having kind of large staffs to being, you know, kind of almost devoted to working on their own, you know, that's a sign that they may have been red flagged by another organization. So again, you know, does it mean that they can't be a strong individual contributor? Not necessarily. I mean, you want to make sure that they're not doing something unethical or illegal that's going to get you into trouble. But if they're just have kind of a, uh, a blunt touch 
and are really good at executing business but are not great managing other folks, there may be a role for them in your organization that does not come har cause harm to others. So, you know, that's something as an HR person that you can help train folks to understand when they're going through the hiring process. Um, something HR can do is really, you know, work for the mission, not for management. Um, you know, HR folks work for the company, and that typically means you're working for the company's mission, vision um, for the board. But of course, the reporting structure is usually into the CEO. And if the CEO is the harm causer, that can be really difficult. And I think where companies get into trouble is where senior people are the folks causing harm. You know, it's obviously very difficult to flag that if you're an HR person because you know, you're going to get fired. If you report to the CEO and there are complaints about the CEO, it's very difficult to, you know, to bring that up. So if you are an entrepreneur and you are creating an organization, um, you know, looking at reporting structure, what power does HR have? Is there an ombudsperson? You know, if people find that senior people in the organization are the harm, harm causers, where can one go? You know, sometimes like, you know, big banks and stuff will have a hotline. I've heard mixed reviews about how effective those are, but somewhere where people can kind of reach outside the system to get assistance. So again, it's just something when you're designing people development systems to look at. Where do people go if it's the senior people causing harm or the HR people causing harm? or the consultants that you're hiring to help you reduce harm who turn out to be harm causers themselves. Um, the key thing I think is to listen and where there's smoke, there can be fires. So, you know, really find out um, what, you know, how to deal with this, really how to deal with this. Um, and the final thing is I think you need to know how to triage trauma. Um, HR professionals are not resourced to deal with employee trauma. You're not a psychologist, but you can know about the EAP system that you have, the benefits you have. You can connect employees to people who can truly help them. So know when the time is to act and when the time is to, you know, bring in people who are experts. So hopefully with all of that, you can help reduce the harm in your organization and have a more effective workforce this year. See you next week.